so it did not pass the Bechdel test. They should have had way more female robots. <laughs> robots with female sounds. Jesus Christ, Doc, you disintegrated Einstein. Disintegrated Einstein. And Einstein. Welcome to Science at the Movies, a podcast that looks at the role of science in some of our best loved and most hated movies. I'm Abby. I'm Frida, and this week's movie is Pixar's Wally. You do that really well. Wally. <laughs> Have you been practicing? <laughs> no. I, no, actually. Just listening, just okay. repeat on repeat in my head. Yeah. <laughs> How's it going? Um, yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, can we stop swapping situations? Because it's really upsetting. The swapping lockdown situations. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How are you doing? You're free. Melbourne is free. Did you go outside? No, actually, I haven't. Oh. <laughs> um, no, I haven't really. I definitely haven't this weekend, and I'm not. I'm. I'm not. I don't care. <laughs> okay. But happy things. You picked a happy movie. I picked a. I picked a. Yeah, I picked a. I, it is a happy movie, isn't it? It. I mean, I still cried. You promised me. I mean, anyone who listens listened last week, and I literally said the words, "Am I gonna cry?" And Frida went, "No, it's lovely." And I messaged her straight after I listened to the movie, going, "I fucking cried." <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to think if I. I mean, I. I definitely, well, did I cry? Yeah, I, I probably did feel strong feelings that might have resulted in a couple of tears from my eyes. But um, for me, Wally is just staring at the screen with a big goofy smile on my face and my eyes kind of glazed oh. over like, oh. <laughs> I've actually, yeah, it's, um, shall we get into it? Yeah, let's get into it. Shall we do it? I forgot what year it is. I'm like, should I quickly look it up? I think it's um, 2008. Um. Oh, yeah, I don't, uh, yeah, I have no idea. 2008, actually. I should write this stuff down, my gosh. Mm. All right, I've got a, I've got my summary for Wally. Here we go. In the not-too-distant future, Earth has become too toxic to support life. The CEO of By and Large, this is a massive corporation, and he's also the president slash king of the United States, announces that humans can wait in space on giant fleets while Earth is cleaned up by automated waste allotment load lifters. But the mission fails and the CEO flees Earth after giving the fleet's computer system the automatic override directive to keep the humans in space. 700 years later, humans are still floating in space on board the Axiom, and Earth has but a single inhabitant. Wally, the sentient last waste allotment robot who survived by repairing himself with parts of decommissioned robots. He takes great satisfaction in his work and lovingly decorates his home with found objects and keeps a cockroach as a best friend. He's only missing one thing, love. Enter Eve, the vegetation evaluator robot who is dropped off by a rocket ship one day to scan for signs of life, and Wally is smitten. But when Wally shows Eve a small plant he found, she goes into standby mode and awaits for pickup. 
Concerned for Eve's well-being, Wally hitches a ride on the rocket and rides straight into the Axiom. The humans on board the Axiom have taken advantage of the ship's automation to the degree where they have forgotten how to walk and communicate only via screen. However, Wally, on a mission for love, changes everyone he comes across, showing us that we are all capable of change and finding a new perspective. Once the proof of life on Earth is confirmed by the ship system, the humans begin a battle for manual control of the ship to return to Earth, and although they are successful, Wally is injured terribly in the process. Once they arrive to Earth, Eve desperately attempts to repair Wally from the old parts. I'm tearing up. (laughs) At first, it seems like Wally has returned to factory settings, but soon we know that our Wally is back. As the credits roll, we see the human beings have begun to return to a better, less consumptive way of life with an appreciation for Earth with help from their new robot friends. (laughs) I could barely get through that without (laughs) crying. Now you see, I don't know if you're making fun of me. No, I'm not. I just remember that that scream, that Eve, that Eve when when Wally gets injured and she just goes, no. She just does this shriek of just terrible pain. <laughs> it's just so. Oh, what a movie! Um, what this was the first time you saw Wally? It was. I'd avoided watching it for so long because I was like, I don't want to be sad. <laughs> it's. Uh, did you? So I, I. I mean, I know that there there were points in the movie that are emotional, but did, <laughs> do you think it's a sad movie? No. It's not like there yeah, like you said, there's there's moments in it um that just have that evoke an emotional reaction in some way. And there's like you know, the beginning of it, there's a loneliness there and there's a mm. sadness to it because you're kinda like, Oh, I know he's got his cockroach buddy, but look at him, he's still just going out to work with his little lunchbox. <laughs> and you're just like, Oh, look at you I know. And you're just like, Oh, I just want you to have a friend. Like I know you have cockroach, but no. <laughs> And yes. then, yeah, so it's uh, because I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know if it was like bad things were going to happen. But bad, but they don't really. Like you have mm. your kind of baddie, but it's not a typical baddie. And the baddie isn't really a baddie. Yeah. So it was nice. I enjoyed it. One of my absolute favorite things was the fact that none of the humans were dicks. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I have a, I want, I want to talk more about that in the science section. But one of the great things about the movie is it doesn't condemn anybody. Yeah, it's not judgmental. There, like, it's, it doesn't take the easy route of being like, oh, humans are just shit. Um, exactly. It's just, it, but, but it's also like that. Wally has these qualities that are so endearing. Yeah, and it just it just makes you realize that this is going to be tacky but even though we have like so many problems there's so much to live for that's so tacky but there is there's there's so so much joy to be had and like there's a lot of beauty in small things and there's like that's Wally's like living his best life you know yeah among everything like among the rubble of earth he's just living his best life yeah and it's it doesn't even condemn loving shit like just shit in your house doesn't condemn anything um Um, what what's your what there's so many like gorgeous 
bits, little cute things. There's like hundreds yeah. of things. Let's maybe like talk about some of our favorite little tiny okay. bits. All right, you go. Okay. But on your Sunday clothes, there's lots of world out there. <laughs> oh, when I was growing up, um, I used to go to my nan's house every single weekend. And I used to sit in front of the TV every single weekend. And there were two videos. It was My Fair Lady and it was Hello Dolly. No. And I watched Hello Dolly over and over and over and over again. Really? Now, I have a huge love of musicals. I do. I have a huge love of theater musicals, movie musicals, old school Fred Astaire musicals, more recent ones. But I will admit to say that two in particular movie musicals that are my absolute favorite both involve Barbra Streisand because it's Funny Girl is one of them and Hello Dolly is the other one. I have always been obsessed with this movie. And when the <laughs> opening happened on Wally and it started with Sunday clothes, I was like, what is happening? Why is Hello Dolly playing? I'm so what is going on? <laughs> and then the fact that they kept playing that scene. So do you know Hello Dolly? Have you seen the movie? No. Okay, so Hello Dolly is the story of Barbara Streisand, she's a matchmaker, and she decides that she wants to matchmake herself with somebody. She's out there to do a job for, like, she's supposed to match this guy, um, I think it's Walter Matthau, with someone. And when she meets him, she decides, you know what? I'm ready. I'm ready to settle down. So I think I'll matchmake you with me. And it's very entertaining because, you know, Streisand is just Streisand. She's awesome. But in the cast, there's these two young guys who work for him, and they all, they're out in Yonkers. And um, it's Barnaby and Cornelius. And they go into, they run away. They take some money from the store and they run away to New York for a day because they just want to experience life and they want to meet girls and they want to, but it's innocent. It's innocent and it's sweet. And that's the scene that they keep showing. It's the Sunday clothes scene where they put on their nice clothes and they go out for the evening with the girls that they meet in the hat mm. shop. And it's um, Cornelius, who is, um, oh my God, what's that actor's name? Michael Crawford, um, playing Cornelius, that you see with, um, I think it's Marianne McAndrew as Irene, in that scene where they're holding hands that Wally is so obsessed with. Mm -hmm. And it's that moment that they've gone out to dinner and they're walking down, but in Sunday Clue, uh, sorry, and they're walking through the park in the evening and they you know they're falling in love and it's just a beautiful Aww. sweet innocent moment because the whole story with Cornelius and Barnaby is they've never been on a date they've never kissed a girl and that's all they want they're Aww. like we're not gonna go home like and that's in the song it's like we're not going home until oh wait and we won't go home until we've kissed a girl that's not the tune fuck I forgot the tune but anyway it's we won't go home until we've kissed a girl and it's just I just wanted to bring it up because firstly it's a movie I love and adore so much but there's a lot of sweetness in Hello Dolly and there's a lot of sweetness in the Cornelius character. He's goofy and he's dorky and he's poor and he like falls for Irene and it turns out she like she owns the hat shop. So she's actually got money and she's like, I can pay for dinner. It's cool. Um, and she falls for him anyway, even though he's goofy and dorky and weird and a little um, funny, silly man kind of thing mm. I don't know there's just like there's Wally. a parallel there's a parallel yes. in the Hello Dolly story and in the Wally and Eve and it's just sweet and it it added a layer of sweetness to it for me because that song kept playing and because he was so obsessed with it and I was like I used to do this I used to sit there and just watch the videotape of Hello Dolly over and over again 
Sorry, I've prattled on about that a lot, so I'm going to no, stop now. I mean, but it's, <laughs> it's so good to get that, that perspective from you for someone who understands the reference. Um, two, two things. One is he takes his shoes off in his house, his traps. Oh, yes! He hangs oh. his shoes up. <laughs> he hangs his shoes up he, and he rocks himself to sleep. The rocking himself to sleep almost made me cry. I know. And then, well, also when he wakes up and he's kind of drunk and low on battery. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sure there are so many little bits and bobs. Anything you want to bring up here? Maybe the sci- the, if yeah. it's science-based, we'll bring it up later, but non-science-based no, stuff. No, I was just, it made me think, because it's such, I mean, we know, um, or rather uh, we might know, that like Disney and Pixar are, are big for Easter eggs. Like we know, mm. you know? They yes. love to throw yes. stuff in. And there was just a couple of things that happened. And it just made me look in. And then I ended up in a bit of a rabbit hole. And I just thought there was just some really cool. So I just picked out a couple of the really cool ones that I was like, I like this. And I thought you'd be into it too. So um, the reason I, I did this was because when he goes home and he walks in and all his knickknacks, it immediately made me think of The Little Mermaid and Ariel's Cave. Yes. And I was just like, oh, look, it's Ariel's Cave. And then I was like, I wonder if that was a real reference. So I was trying to look into it and I didn't find that as a real reference, but I found other stuff. Um, so, uh, you know that the directive on the Axiom mm-hmm. is A113. That's the directive that Otto yes. has. And A113 is a reference to a classroom number that was used by animation students at CalArts. And it's been in every Pixar film, as well as Disney movies, Um, The Simpsons. It's been in Family Guy, American Dad. (laughs) It's even been in like Powerpuff Girls. Uh, But this is the most obvious that they've ever made it. Um, There's a couple of obvious ones, like Otto being kind of referenced to HAL 9000 from um, 2001 Space Odyssey. Mm. Did I say that right? Yes, and also um, the the cockroach. It's not it's not in the movie, but his name is Hal. (laughs) The cockroaches. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I just things like I loved that Wally's um startup chime is the Mac one. Yeah. But just the last one that I just thought was really cool was just the fact that they use the term like the name Axiom for the ship, and then that like Axiom is. Uh, the word axiom means to accept something as true without proof and I just loved that um, connection oh, that's, that's good right. um, to add to what you said is uh, Sigourney Weaver is the voice of the computer ship it, I, I saw her name but I, I couldn't figure out which one she was yeah she's the one that's like the lighter deck is now closed ah. that's Sigourney Weaver and <laughs> Amazing. yeah it's a reference to the ship's voice in Alien is it Mother? Oh my god! Another movie we have to do, and um, and yeah, I saw the Pizza Planet um, car in the trash. The Pizza Planet car from Toy Story. There's so there's so much. It's so rich, and that's just Easter eggs. There's so many other like little details that give you information about the backstory, like that there isn't really exposition. There's a little yeah. bit, but I mean, mm. it's a movie. It's visual. And so it's using the visual media to tell the story without any dialogue whatsoever. Um, I loved it. And I think that we we will bring up so many little bits and bobs, I think, throughout the chat, this episode, more um, little bits and bobs about the movie, mm-hmm. I think. So I reckon we can probably move on from our general chit chat and talk about 
what we think maybe are the themes of the movie. Yeah. So I think there's some major themes, maybe um, pollution, consumption, um, big corporations. But I think that the underlying message of Wally is that directive that we can always <laughs> um that we can always change from our directive yeah we're not shackled everyone no matter what no matter how it's never too late to change i i think that that is the message that of hope um f- from the movie that's what i put down as the theme what do you think is 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 the theme of the movie what I found really interesting was that the people you didn't meet resistance from the people on the ship. Like that, the thing that we all think that we would want. Too much of that, and you get bored. Mm-hmm. Also, having a purpose, having something for us to do, either together or individually, but just having a reason. And that reason not being just existing. That's right. Um, yeah. I want to, I don't want to survive. I want to live. Yeah. <laughs> and Wally tells us that you can find that. It's not hard. You just have yeah. to go a little bit off from your path. Directive. Yeah. <laughs> Directive. Um, I think it's going to be. There was just actually something I wanted to bring up. Yes, as you were talking, another thing I want to mention mm. is um, my f- absolute favorite part of the movie. And we didn't actually explicitly say favorite parts, but when the captain is sort of doing his computer searches of words, de- define this, define that. And then he yeah. says, define dancing. And then you yeah. see, as the computer is explaining <laughs> what dancing is, you see Ivan Wally dancing. Yeah. it's very beautiful abby yes that's hard it's hard but welcome to our first section trope of the week (laughs) i struggled with this so i'm going second oh that's you're going first (laughs) abby (laughs) i'm looking i'm looking at my notes and it just says nothing (laughs) like oh shit No, so I, I've been thinking about it um, and I actually kind of screwed up because I actually mentioned it earlier. Um, I'm going to go with an anti-trope. Oh, wow. Yeah. So my anti-trope is that, and it, so I'm picking it as something that I really liked and it's the fact that none of the humans were dicks. It's the fact that Wally didn't get to the ship and then had to like hide from the humans and the captain had to get him and they're like, no, we... You know, you can't let this happen. It's the fact that they were all like, cool, let's go do that. And I'm on your side. Go, Wally. And everything was just supportive and lovely. And they were into it and on board. That's so, amazing. Yay. So, yeah. Sorry, I picked an anti-trope. That's all right. Oh, God. This was so hard. Okay. <laughs> cool. What, what did you go for in the end? I have a couple of things that are tropey. One is... Okay. um. That, oh, like, sorry, uh, wait. This was so hard. I have a couple of things. <laughs> no, like, you no, still no. managed it. I had to, but like, they're not even, they're just like, okay. I guess even the whole thing of like directive, directive, 
It's like a word that comes back at the end of the movie, you know, and you know where it's going when she when and she's like, no, you are my directive. And it's so beautiful. But of course, it's it's very soppy and it's very tropey. And similarly, um, the fire extinguisher does the same thing when he plays with the fire extinguisher briefly into the trash and he kind of gets a shock because it makes him go around and then sees a fire extinguisher later and uh, he uses it. So that payoff with the fire extinguisher and the word directive, I guess they're tropes, but this movie is like how to do it correctly. How, how to do right. it. Yeah. This movie is like how to write a story, how to make a movie. Can't fault <laughs> it. Um, all right. So we're doing a little bit different um, this, this episode because usually for the next section we talk about how the scientists were portrayed or how the environment of science or just ideas about um, science were in the movie. Obviously, this movie doesn't have scientists or an environment where science was being done. So we're changing it up. This section is going to be about um, referencing back to our Captain America bit. We did a sort of a movie magic bit. We're going to do a section on movie magic because um, there's a lot of stuff in the movie itself, but there's loads of stuff about how the movie was made. First, briefly, let's talk about the, the design of Wally and Eve. So, I don't know, like, let's start. Like, why don't Abby tell me about something that stands out for you about the design of Wally? Sorry, um, I accidentally knocked the cable out of my headphones for quite a while there, uh, so I had no sound. I had no idea what you were saying, and I couldn't figure out what was wrong until I finally realized the cable wasn't <laughs> stuck in. So yeah, okay. hey, <laughs> but okay, the design of Eve, sleek, yeah, swish, swish. So very shiny. I mean, like I shiny. I know that there's references to I mean, especially with Pixar and Apple and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, that's kind of what it was like. Ooh. Compared to she's Wally. Like, she's like an Apple robot. <laughs> and then yeah. poor little Wally is like, hello, I'm the first android. She was very shiny. I'm the f- Who's the first android? <laughs> Wally. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then she's Apple. She's like an iPhone. The thing is, though, she still doesn't look threatening. That's what I like. Mm. She can look threatening. I love when she shoots her handgun and then she spins her handgun and then like for yeah. herself. <laughs> there's something sweet about her there's something kind of like like she's a puppy um so she was actually co-designed by apple designer jonathan ives um that they wanted something which was inspired by apple so they called up steve jobs and asked for help and steve jobs sent yeah. over jonathan ives to help consult on the design says so uh, actually designed by apple but yeah, they, they studied, they went to recycling stations, they met robot designers, they visited the Jet Propulsion Laboratory at NASA, um, they watched recordings of the Mars rover, they did so much research, um, they borrowed a bomb detecting robot from a police department to sort of wow. observe it and look at it, um, and they just wanted to, they, they thought if they gave it too many movements, it would feel way too human, and they didn't want um, Wally to feel human at all. So they were stripping away as many as many um, qualities as they possibly could to make Wally as simple as possible. Um, anything else stand out about the design that, or of any of the robots really? Because there's loads of robots. Isn't there's just so. The two of them? I loved the fact. <laughs> I 
just I loved when they went into what was like you know robot bedlam it was it was like 12 monkeys when you know when Bruce Willis's character turned up at 12 monkeys in the asylum like Wally turns up in the asylum and they're all just the batshit crazy robots it was so good. I, my, I, yeah. Can I say what my favorite robot was? Yeah. Or, do you, or will I say it in a while? No, no, tell me. I was obsessed. I can't remember what name he was given. And I, again, I'm just saying he, but um, I was obsessed with the tiny little cleaner robot. No. Yeah. Following Wally. Like, Whoa. Know, foreign contaminant. <laughs> but it was like, it was that moment when he's following his lines. And he sees the, the he sees Wally's tracks go off to the side, and he pauses, and he's like, "I stay on my line, or I follow the track." I stay <laughs> on my line. And you see that little like conflicting uh, thing in like his programming of like, "But I I'm supposed to stay on the line, but I want to follow the track because I'm supposed <laughs> to clean." So he does that little moment where he just makes the decision to try to get off the track, and he, his little face, his little robot face that doesn't exist, doesn't but exist. I saw it in my in mind. I saw him do that like like a kid who like I don't know does the same thing and then like squeezes his whole face down while he waits for the bad thing to happen and then he's like oh nothing happened foreign contaminant <laughs> and just keeps cleaner. going <laughs> he just goes off I loved it <laughs> with so little they're able to yeah. show you everything you need to know about this character quotes he's got no face there's no right. face yet <laughs> there whoa 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 uh, <laughs> so good okay just a quick little thing on how they shot it i could not actually was like reading the pixar production notes and i, I couldn't really understand this but one little thing that i understood enough to say it now is that um it's obviously all computer graphics it's like computer mm-hmm. graphics photography but they wanted it to look like it was real realistic so they actually used like um, a 1970s Panavision camera, similar to what they used to shoot Star Wars, and they, they sort of studied it to get a sense of the kind of artifacts that th- those lenses create. So they looked okay. at little aberrations and distortions and imperfections, and they actually applied those things to the computer graphic photography to make it look like as if it was shot on 1970s film. That's really cool. That's just a little bit. I wish I understood more about the, the way they shoot this kind of thing. But I, I have a feeling we'll have more animated movies in the future. Yeah. And we'll be able to get way more into the computer generation generated imaging. Okay, Definitely. now. Because it's something that I do. I've always found it really interesting just how... And the different types of animation and the different kind of methods and stuff that you would use. Which I don't know what any of them are. So hopefully we shall learn. <laughs> Maybe it'll be one of your episodes so you can do the work and I can just sit and yeah. listen. <laughs> I see. I see this. I hear you. All right. Now, the piece de resistance of Wally is, in my opinion, and probably not just my opinion, but the sound design. <laughs> the sound design, right? It's it's the sounds of Wally. It's the sounds of Eve. It's the sounds of Mo. Yeah. It's all these sounds which are created and it's obviously an animated movie, so it's not like they can rely on any sound being there to begin with. Everything has to be added in, in production. Every little sound. Right. So in order to do this extraordinary sound design, they went to Pix- uh, They went to sound engineer and at a legend, Ben Burt. 
Now, Ben Burt was actually responsible for Star Wars movie sound design. He designed the lightsaber sound. Hey! And R2-D2. No, that don't. Take that out. Whatever I just made. Noise. <laughs> and that was my stomach. Did, did you hear my stomach just go? I actually just heard that. Yeah, that was my stomach rumbling. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well timed. Ben Burt is a is a such a geek and I'll definitely post some links um in the episode notes but you can just listen to him talking about sounds forever like the way he creates create sounds is just so great and and listen you could listen to him forever showing you different sounds um so just a little history on on sound design from Disney movies so really really early Disney movies you probably remember use music like musical sounds as sound effects so whistles and Mm -hmm. flutes somebody crashes into a wall and it's cymbals and all those sorts of sounds instead of realistic sounds and the reason why that was is because you can just play those in a studio and you can control it whereas um the back in the you know the 30s whenever that was like the equipment recording equipment wasn't good enough um, for you to just go around and capture sounds in everyday life so if you wanted the sound of a door slamming um, you can't just go and, and record on a door slamming because the equipment just won't hold up for like what's needed for the movie so that they would use a musical instruments like drums and things like that instead. But then later on, Disney hired this guy called Jimmy McDonald and he totally changed sound design. What he did instead was built sound props that were used to make the sounds in the cartoons. So um, it had the same effect that you could control it and play it in a studio. There's hundreds of sound props still sitting in the Walt Disney Engineering buildings that have like single uses to make like single noises. Um, so for example, like a single contraption that just makes a screen door. Um, hundreds, hundreds of props and they're still <laughs> there. Amazing. So when they hired Ben Burt, basically like all of this stuff is still preserved in Walt Disney Engineering. So they took advantage of all of these equipment. So a lot of these, this equipment was used in Wally, but he also did create so many new sounds, 2,500 sounds he created. Wow. It's a record for him and it's a record. It's twice the average number for a Star Wars film. <laughs> um, I like, he did I like loads that of Star Wars specific comparison. <laughs> A couple of examples of the sound design in this movie. Just a couple of things. They seriously go around just like listening and being like, ooh, I don't know how they figured this out, but to make the sound of the cockroach skittering, he found <laughs> a police of um, a police. He found a pair of police handcuffs and recorded the clicking as he took them apart and reassembled them. That's the cockroach. Oh. To get the sound of Eve flying, he found someone who had a 10-foot-long radio-controlled jet plane, and he recorded it flying right overhead. Wait a minute. 10-foot-long radio... radio I'm 5-foot-6. That's a big-ass plane. This is I got from the Pixar production notes, but, oh, my mm. God, there's just so much shit, and it's so – it's great. And when people talk about how Ben Burt is, like what a sound geek he is, <laughs> it's endearing and it's it's completely fascinating. So um, put those, those videos in. Seriously, um, I could watch that forever. 
Amazing. Yeah, that's my movie magic bit. It's cool. I really like, I like how we've kind of talked about it a little bit before, just about like innovation. Mm. And sometimes it's by just doing something as simple as banging a freaking piece of sheet metal. It's also just total geekiness. Like it's like being a sound nerd. I just, I like it when people nerd out and geek out about stuff. It doesn't matter what it is. If you've got something that you're just like, look at all the stuff that I can do here. It's like, that. that's cool. Do it. Enjoy it. Love it. It is cool. Breathe it. It sounds like a fun job. It sounds like yeah. there are a lot of movies where there's great little things about how they created the sounds. And I hope we can explore more sound design later. But um, mm-hmm. Wally's definitely. It's okay. So that's, that's movie magic and technicalities, I guess, about Pixar. Wally. But now I think it's time for Here Comes the Science. Sci-sci. How are we going to do this? I, I, I think this I is know. how we're going to do this. There's, okay. there's big topics, but I think I'll start with little topics like similar to what we did earlier when we just sort of went back and forth with our little bits and bobs. There are a lot of like little bits and bobs of science stuff hmm. in this movie. So I think that maybe before we get into the big topics, which I'll state what they are, the big topics are that I've chosen are AI sentience, mm-hmm. sedentary lifestyle, and what might be might be the impact of that. And then the major thing is, and I'm really excited because social sciences are a thing, <laughs> <laughs> and this movie is talking about a lot of. Um, theories that are evoked by social sciences. So we're going to talk about this sociological worldview of Wally. Very exciting, very exciting. <laughs> oh my god. But first, <laughs> there's a bits and bobs of science things. Let's let's say a few of our favorite science kind of related bits and bobs. Um yeah, so I've got um one thing the uh okay, the first thing I'll say is that when Wally first goes home, right? And then yeah. um, and he rocks himself to sleep under his little mobile um, that he's made himself out of little fairy lights and stuff that literally made my heart just like weep because um, <laughs> I just wanted to pick him up and cuddle him and take care of him. Um, he wakes up in the morning and he's really groggy and he keeps rolling into things and everything. And I literally said to my boyfriend, I was like, I just turned around and I was like, but he hasn't had his coffee yet. And then the next scene was him out with his solar panel out in the sun and charging up. And I was like, solar panels, it's robot coffee. <laughs> I was like, oh, I yeah. felt like you'd be into robot coffee. Robot I just want to bring it up. I don't want to say anything about how solar panel, I mean, you know, solar panel works by yeah, energy from the sun and everything. So it totally makes sense. But I just loved the idea that it was the robot coffee was the solar panel. Yeah, he was like, the, I love the sounds of him being like groggy. Yeah. <laughs> um, the solar panels popped up again about half an hour later. Did you Did you get that kind of? Three second bit when he is in the rocket and he goes by the sun and he's like, oh, and he opens up his solar panels to charge himself. (laughs) Oh, but then there's also, I forgot to say as well, where he puts Eve out in the sun hoping that it'll charge her up. To wake her up. And I was like, that was another point. I was like, I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry. Oh my God, look at him. He 
thinks like yeah put her in the sun and he looks so excited but he's like okay put her in the sun face her to the sun it's fine oh, <laughs> and she doesn't no. wake up and he's so sad I'm trying to wake her up Eve. <laughs> he's so, so distressed that was gorgeous was so one cute. another thing that um another thing that i noticed also relating to trash was that there's all this nuclear power plants and solar wind uh, farms sorry not solar wind farms in the trash as well oh. when it, the movie scans um, at the that. beginning so what that told me was that humans had attempted to sort of fix the situation using ah. renewable energy, but I guess it was too little too late and those things ended up in the trash as well. Oh my God, that's amazing. I know. Do you know, do you know what else was in the trash? What? Twinkies. Was that the thing that he puts the, the cockroach in? Yeah. Yeah. Twinkies, you see, so this is the thing, right? So this is something I had to actually look up because I was like... Why is it such a thing that it it's almost understood and agreed upon that Twinkies and cockroaches will survive the apocalypse? <laughs> it's just a thing. It's like everyone thinks Twinkies will survive. the. So I, I looked it up because I was like, OK, can a Twinkie survive the apocalypse? And I was incredibly disappointed <laughs> because the shelf life of a Twinkie is only 25 days actually it was 25 days and it's now been upgraded it's currently 45 days but like there's a whole science of Twinkies that I'm literally not going to get into <laughs> but <laughs> it has many 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 chemical ingredients which prolongs the shelf life but there's only like one preservative used so it won't Twinkies will not survive the apocalypse. And I feel like I just told people that Santa wasn't real. Like, it just, I was like, I, I read that and I was like, what do you mean they won't? Like, what? How's the cockroach going to eat? So they're just a disgusting tree that lasts for a very long time, but not as long as yeah. 700 years. No, I was, I was so disappointed. Um. Is there another little kind of cute little bit that you want to... Yeah, the fire extinguisher. <laughs> I know you mentioned it about like the kind of the, you know, it comes up and then he's like, oh, I can use that. But I was like, I was like, genuinely, could he use that? Because it was one point that I consciously did not bring up in the Martian last episode was uh, how he used like the pressure from his suit to get him to direct him around. Yeah. Um, but yeah, here again, we just had like the fire extinguisher. And it's like, it's one of those things where I looked at it and I was like, I wonder if he could actually do that. And then I looked it up and somebody wrote a paper about it. <gasps> oh, brilliant. Somebody wrote like, but to be fair, this paper was meh. They, they basically <laughs> said that the fire extinguisher used by Wally would not have contained enough CO2 to last the duration of his space flight and approximately, uh, the approximate, sorry, um, and his approximately 2 kg canister would have run out after about 16 seconds. And it's like, okay, fine. But you know what I heard in that? That it was totally possible to use the fire extinguisher to propel himself around. So yeah. boo to this person who hates fun. Um, somebody who doesn't <laughs> hate fun is someone else who wrote about it. And like, and then you kind of go like, oh, yeah, that's kind of obvious. Like Newton's third and second laws of motion in action, basically. Wally is low mass. The extinguisher has compressed gas and the amount of pressure that it's under will determine how much propulsion he would get. But it's mm. totally within reason that he could use it to get a good speed to move himself around. So I was like, oh, yeah, OK. Brilliant. Cool. <laughs> I just really yeah. liked it. 
He might have run out earlier. Who cares? I mean, the it's thing a is, fucking like, cartoon. I can't believe was, you wrote a paper about this. Dude, chill out. Like, <laughs> yeah, you Science can only write a paper that intense. <laughs> you can only write a paper if you're going to verify that this adorable film is accurate, not if you're going to criticize. Yeah. It. <laughs> <laughs> um. So now to major major science topics. Let's start with his sentience. Um, and I guess there are a couple of theories about how, how is he sentient? How is he repairing himself and nobody else is repairing himself? I guess he's lasted a very long time because he's repairing himself. So mm. that would that would suggest that he's been aware of himself and his need for repair, which could have been programmed into him. But um, there's been some suggestion, and this is probably the most popular suggestion, is that his sentience is a glitch. Yeah. But I found a much better theory of his sentience. Okay, good. From a random YouTube commenter. His name is Philip Kramer. And he wrote, Ooh, I don't think that Wally's personality is due to malfunction. I suspect that Wally's personality is due to a designed ghost in the machine type algorithm in his software. Wally has those media function keys on his body that let him record new information and add to his cache of knowledge. I assume the original designers put this feature in so the units could be programmed with specific directives out in the field by by and large employees. However, I think the units were also designed to record all unique information they deemed useful to their main directive. Directive? Hmm. We see Wally do this when he records the stars and the hand-holding and all of that. My theory is that Wally is fairly similar to the other Wally units, but after adding more and more extra extraneous data over the course of centuries, his personality evolved from simple objective commands to a full-on positronic level consciousness. I think after decades of virtually doing the commands, oh, I think after decades of virtually doing the identical trash collecting movements and the other units began to fall and deactivate, Wally's program began to collect random bits of information on the items to better increase efficiency. He began collecting data on the different sizes and shapes of items, the weight, the densities, how easy and how they would be compacted, and that eventually ended up creating subroutines that wondered about the purpose of the items. More items led to more curiosities, more curiosities led to more need for Wally to record new information and to add to his directive's cache. And after Mm -hmm. a long time, a long-ass time, you get a sentient little dude, all built off of trial and error data collecting. So yeah, I do not believe Wally's consciousness came from malfunction that happened one day. I believe it's an unexpected feature of a device that has been left running long past its intended longevity. It's one of the cooler things about the movie, I think. Well done. What was the commenter's name again? I think it's Philip Kramer. Philip Kramer. Awesome. I totally agree. That's that's what I would have thought as well. Because it's that whole thing. It's like how can you how can you develop emotion in a in in AI and he's learning. It's it's he's learning from his environment and one of the things that he is consciously feeding into himself and trying to understand is Hello Dolly and it's that scene and it's the why do they hold hands and and why is this registering as a connection to him as a thing? And then he meets Eve and it's like, oh, I want to do that. And maybe he doesn't understand why he wants to do it, but he knows that he wants to. I don't know. It's cute. What do you think? I really like love this explanation. Mm. It's just, yeah, from learning. That makes so much. Because when I first saw the recording, I was like, why does he have that? But this ex- this comment 
does a good explanation as to his recording and learning. It's done there for the robots to be able to learn. Yeah. And maybe for the sake of the employees, but he's been able to use it to learn to better sort garbage. And he and we know he's like fascinated about garbage. So yeah. he's basically recording and also he has his goggles. So he's got his visual inputs and his audio inputs and he's just using it to be better at sorting trash. Yeah. And which he does. Yeah. Which he does, which is one of my favorite little moments ever. And it was just like that little kind of uh it was that proper complete computer vision moment where he picks up the spork and he's there with his spork and he's like spoon fork spoon fork and then it's like it doesn't fit it goes in the middle it's different (laughs) it just it just made me think of computer vision models and like this whole you know like sorting out like cat dog thing I was like well done Wally it's a spork (laughs) that's a great point I feel like that that argument backs up this theory yeah absolutely his whole personality evolved from him trying to categorize trash yeah or whether it even is trash. Yeah, I, I love I like this theory a lot because it, it's just, yeah, yeah. No, it's in line with, with a learning model, which basically develops quote-unquote consciousness or sentience mm. uh, based because it just learns so much. Cool. All right, AI, Wally, sentience. Next topic. I feel like a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the next topic I want to talk about Okay, so the humans have turned into, like, blub babies. They're basically giant babies. Um, well, well, like, what would happen if humans were living their entire life in space? Mm. So what's the science there? Like, would you turn into a big, fat baby if you were just your whole life living, <laughs> living in space? So actually, there was a study that was concluded a couple of years ago where they sent identical twins who are both astronauts, but they sent one of them to space for a year and the other one stayed on Earth so that they could do studies on what's the impact of long-term space travel so that we could start to think about what's going to happen to the astronauts when we send them to to Mars. Mm. And the, the guy who was sent there was called Scott Kelly and he has maybe the best Instagram account in the whole world. And really? his brother, Mark Kelly, stayed um, behind. And he's now actually running for like Congress or something crazy like that in America. And he does ride. Like I read an essay of his that when he came back, he could not walk. He had so much uh, atrophy that he oh. could not walk. And he was stumbling um, for quite some time when he came back to Earth. But the science does say that your your skeletal skeletal muscle will get smaller by about 1% per week if for this is for people on bed rest and astronauts if you're basically uh, not active and your bone density will decrease by one to two percent per month so why does this happen so bones why why do why would bones change in that kind of situation so bone loss occurs in a weightless environment of space because they're not they're no longer needed to support the body against gravity if you don't use your bones they weaken that's it so it's all about that impact exercise walking doesn't have to be running, but like that keeps your bones strong. So that that why humans might have that amount of bone loss, that's pretty that's pretty accurate. Um, whether that would develop over you know, ten, twenty, thirty years, unsure. But um, you would turn into a big fat baby, probably. <laughs> um, but two, that, yeah. No, I was just gonna say because I just there was just a funny thing that happened when I was watching the movie, because they went up into space and. 
whatever way there was a, I can't remember the scene exactly but it started with them on the axiom and it showed a couple I think and they were just a normal couple and my brain immediately went to but why aren't they massively overweight and then the next shot of the axiom people was everyone was massively overweight yeah. and I was like aha <laughs> yes the, the other reason they might be massively overweight, apart from just being in space, is, of course, physical inactivity and eating all the time, right? Mm. We have to separate there's sedentary behavior and physical inactivity are different categories that have different effects. Physical inactivity is like just not doing your exercise you're supposed to do per week. So like your 45 minutes of mm. cardio four times a week, whatever it is. That's physical inactivity. And then sedentary behavior is, well, how much extra time do you s- spend not moving? How much time do you watch TV? How much time do you sit? How much time are you driving in a truck or in a car um, and sitting at your office and all these sorts of things is separated from physical inactivity. There's been so many studies on the effects of being sedentary um, and the effects of no physical activity. Um, But a couple of studies I'll just mention. So in Australia, it was seen that reducing physical inactivity by 10%, so encouraging people to exercise more, saved 0.19% of all total annual health expenditure in Australia. Wow. Another study, so this one is on sedentary behavior. So being in a car for more than 10 hours a week gave 82%, 82% greater risk of CVD, cardiovascular disease, compared to people that only drove four hours a week. So that would start to go into people that maybe are couriers or even truck drivers. That's the effect of sitting. What about sitting and watching TV? Listen to this. Increase in watching TV by just two hours a day relates to 14% higher risk of type 2 diabetes. It's pretty amazing. And I think we've all been... The reason why this is especially topical... It's because we've actually been living really sedentary lifestyle for the past year, like a lot of people on the planet Earth, Um, not being commuting. We don't do any of that. We're kind of sitting on our bums all day. So the fact that people are sitting and not moving could very, very well increase the risk of clots and strokes and pulmonary embolus. Um, And so therefore, when I look at the humans, they would have had like, a lot of medical problems from sitting there. Yeah. Diabetes. I have a lot of medical problems from sitting here. <laughs> <sighs> no, but it's what you're saying. It's uh, like, it's very true. It just in terms of like, I miss my commute. I miss my commute so much. We got to get our steps in. But um, yeah, this is very depressing view of sedentary lifestyle. That's for sure. And screens and ugh, we can I change. love that scene though when the screen when she gets knocked in and her screen turns off yeah. and she's suddenly like look at the world. We can change <laughs> on a dime. It doesn't need anything yeah. big. It just needs this movie is encouraging because it just says just make the small change. It's just a small change. It's yeah. not it's just make a small change and that's all it takes and it's very encouraging. Um yeah. okay. So that's my sedentary lifestyle bone loss. Um, AI sentience and now it's time for my section on social science one time I made a comment about social science um, like a cynical comment and a social scientist was like listen (laughs) and um, I'm never going to do that again 
I, okay, so there's this YouTuber called Pop Culture Detective who's the best and his videos are fantastic. He does his video essays that are so interesting about movies and TV and just pop culture and everything like that. I to- encourage you to find Pop Culture Detective and he did a fantastic essay on Wally called um, Sociological Storytelling. And his essay is based on the works by a sociologist called Alan Johnson, who has a book called The Forest and the Trees. So we talked about in the beginning of this podcast, what is different about this movie is that it doesn't have a villain. It has antagonists, but Mm. the antagonists are part of a ship's automatic system, which have only just been given an override command to take control of the ship. They, and, and auto is like a computer voice as opposed to all the other robot voices who have the personalities. Like the computer voice tells us like he doesn't have a personality or a will and he just has the A113 override um, command flashing that's forcing him to stop the humans from leaving the ship. Um, Now, what a villain does in a movie, um, one of these sort of large cartoonish villains is it reinforces what's called an individualistic worldview which basically says that the reason why somebody acts badly is because they are bad so we do what we are and that's the whole explanation to people's behavior which is kind of reductive and a little bit simplistic it basically says that injustice is because of a few bad apples so police violence against african-american people in america is a few bad apples and nothing to do with institutions or systems. But that ignores the role that social systems and institutions play in our lives. And what Wally does, it reinforces a worldview that is sociological and not individualistic. We are always a part of many, many different social structures and institutions. Like a family is a social structure, a university is an institution, the patriarchy is an institution. Um, a country with a government, for example, is an institution. Um, we are all playing a part of many, many, many different structures throughout our lives. And all of these structures impact our behavior and our decision making. So, yes, the humans are complicit in Wally for, for sure. They are complicit in conforming to all of that behavior. But what Wally does, which is amazing, is it doesn't condemn them for what's basically following the path of least resistance, which is what we do. We are part of many social structures and often what we do in life is we follow what Alan Johnson says is the path of least resistance, which in the case of Wally is just to remain passive and allow the automated system to take care of everything. And even the robots on the ship literally follow the lines dictated by the ship. Like, and we see that with Mo, that the lines are, are are planned out, Mo waits and he only follows the line the, the path of least resistance, which is just to follow the path that the ship sets out. But then we see Mo like she steps outside the line, right? And in small and big ways, many of the characters in the show uh, in the movie show that it is possible to just step outside of the path of least resistance. And I think that something that's in common with a lot of the characters impacted by Wally, is that they have a realization that they're actually part of an institution. Whereas John and Mary, for short, like they were just sharing, staring at their screens. They didn't have a sense that they were actually part of something much bigger that was um, giving, that was providing for them this path. 
And they had a moment where they actually didn't even realize that there was a pool. They didn't realize where they were. They had this realization that they were part of something bigger. They could step outside of it and make their own choices. And I think that's sort of the message of Wally is that, and it sort of gives you a closed social system of the axiom to just express it. Um, in real life, I don't think we necessarily, it's not as clear what the path of least resistance is. It could be just like following the rules. Um, it could be even as like an example is somebody says something sexist and everybody just laughs because it's easier to just laugh mm. um, than to step out of the path of least resistance and say that's sexist because you will get pushback from other people who just want to conform to this big institution which maybe it's like the patriarchy just conform just conform don't mm. step outside the line the path of least resistance and push back against it to say it's sexist but it is in small ways we can have a realization that we're a part of an institution and i can still make a different choice and wally really has the world view that it, we don't like we don't have to condemn you for being a part of this institution, but you should know that you can always step outside the line and make a different choice. And yeah. that is the sociological worldview of Wally. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I like it. Cause I, I've always felt like one of the wonderful things is that we are all part of these institutions, but we're all still capable of individual thought. So just because you're part of an institution doesn't mean you have to agree with the party line always. Mm -hmm. It's okay to disagree. You, it's okay to promote conversation. It's okay to not know something, not understand something, have someone correct you and then change your behavior or your attitude. We have to have the capacity for growth and learning. And that's one of the things that I struggle with in the world at the moment. It feels like it's a you're either this or you're either that it's and that's it. It's frustrating to see when you have to follow the lines and you can't just point something out or like have a bigger conversation. You know, you, sometimes you, yeah. you understand that there's a path of least resistance and you just have to take it. And we don't need to be condemned for that. But um, yeah, we don't need to follow those things either. We can step outside. It's, what I thought was really interesting um, is something I meant to mention earlier. Um because I liked when the, with the whole thing with the seedling, right? Mm. Um, I loved how like that just really reminded me of a moment in Sunshine um, in the Oxygen Garden. And then again in the Martian when um, the first potato sprouts. Yeah. And it's just this like enthrallment with the first signs of life. Yeah. And it's just this idea that it's so important to us. And I really felt it. And then I found it really interesting because I tried to grow a plant for the first time this year. I'm a <laughs> parsley plant. Oh, yeah. And I was like, I feel that with my parsley plant. When I first saw the first little shoots coming up, I was like, oh my God, look, it's alive. I grew it. Yeah. Oh my God. And I was so impressed and I was so excited. But then I feel like we just forget about it. We just forget that we care. And th that care and wonder in the world around us just isn't there. Like you... I go out and I like to be in nature and I think it's pretty, but I don't do anything to protect it or to preserve the planet in mm. any way. I just, I, I don't do, uh, like I don't acknowledge it to the level that I should um, in order to be like 
someone that uh, ensures that we don't end up in the yeah. future that Wally has envisioned for us. Yes. And to have that kind of like, look, living things it's are amazing. cool. Yes. All living things are cool and we should be nice to all of them. Yes. And in the end of the movie, it seems like, well, they, they kind of get this love and the appreciation for the earth and a wonderment. And then we see them. Um, I'm sure, you know, Earth isn't enormously toxic, but in the credits we see that the joy and the fun in rebuilding the Earth and appreciation for the Earth hopefully is something that the humans walk aw- walk away with. But we, yes, we, we can't forget the joy and the excitement from these, these things and how, like, innate that is and how much that mm. is speaks to something, like, really true and really deep inside us and that... We shouldn't allow these co- like corporate institutions to like trick us into thinking those things aren't absolutely essential on so many levels. Yeah. And um, yeah, the movie ends on a high note. It's sort of like a futuristic. <laughs> they sort of have like um, almost like it's done in cave drawings or hieroglyphics, like the story of the humans rebuilding together with help from the robots because they wouldn't have been able to do it without the robots that's for sure kind of explains that a little yeah. bit because they can't do yeah. fuck all and i think speaking of fuck all um <laughs> i think that concludes the major discussion on the movie and and now do you think anything else quickly before we go into oh, what the fuck no. last any little other hashtag bits? airlock drama Airlock, yes, uh, the the rubbish airlock, rubbish. Uh, yeah, God, I say that it does have an airlock drama. Everything has airlock drama. Yeah. It's everywhere. Everything. Yeah. Um, oh God, that's Wally, it. That's all I wanted to Eva. say. Airlock drama. No, Wally. Eva's like, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's get into what the fuck. Play some music. Bam. What the. Fuck? All right. <laughs> so, in Wally, the most loveliest movie that ever existed, was there a mo- <laughs> was there a part of the movie that you said what the fuck? There was. Really? There was one part. Okay. Because it upset me. <laughs> it upset me that they left the cockroach on the planet. <sighs> On his own. When Wally goes up in the spaceship to chase after Eve, I was like, but, but Hal, but now he's alone. Why have you left Hal alone? What are you doing? Why is the cockroach not gone with you? I'm not okay with this. He stayed the whole time waiting. I was like, I know you're going to come back, but still it's not okay. Now he's all alone. You were his friend and you left him. (laughs) That was mine. Did you have one? I'm refusing to pick a what the fuck. I refuse. <gasps> it's a resistance. I'm stepping out of the path of least resistance. <laughs> you I, I might have some I might have a couple of questions. Right, but okay. this movie <laughs> is perfect. As for something which I'm just gonna question, and it's back to zombie babies. <laughs> How are they making oh. babies? What the fuck? How are they making oh babies? My God, that's true. How are they making babies? 
the cat move? How they, they don't, they don't, they don't have any contact. So I'm going to assume that the machines are like harvesting sperm and eggs from the humans and making I was just going to say like hardcore IVF, I'm guessing. <laughs> like futuristic IVF. <laughs> That's a bit of a trope. There's a few, um, I guess it's not a trope, I guess it's from Brave New World and also that weird movie with um, Sandra Bullock and... Sylvester Stallone, where they don't have sex, they just go to a lab and get a license to be pregnant, but at least the humans are aware. Um, but yeah, so zombie babies. Can you can you become a human without a mother's love? I'm just joking, just joking. Um Sweet Jesus. That sorry, I'm already <laughs> been stuff, but how can you how can you grow a human without without human touch and human contact just by machines? I mean that is truly fucked up. That's more fucked up than anything. I mean, there is evidence that that makes you psychotic. There have been experiments, Harry Harlow experiments, highly unethical, where he did raise monkeys, rhesus monkeys, without any contact um, at all, and it they became psychotic. So, zombie babies. That's kind of an issue, but zombie babies. This, this movie just deserves to skip what the fuck. That's what I think. Speaking of what this movie deserves, final verdicts. Yes. Oh, <laughs> lol. Did the movie pass the Bechdel <laughs> test? Are we doing this for cartoons? I guess so. No, it doesn't, but okay. <laughs> We've just gendered Eve and Wally, but we don't know. Yeah, so we could say, hey, if Eve and Wally are both women... Then yeah, it does pass the Bechdel <laughs> test. I mean, I know the robots, but if they're lady robots, then cool. The robots are definitely like pretty male, though. I have to say, like, like the the sub yeah. lieutenant, whatever that that little one with the with the red light was pretty male. Mo was pretty male. Everyone was kind of male. Um, so it did not pass the Bechdel test. They should have had way more female robots. <laughs> Robots with female sounds and not male sounds. I bet you Ben Burt just sat by himself making most of the robot sounds. And only with Eve, he got this lady to do it. But I'm fairly certain that every single robot sound is just Ben Burt in a studio by himself with voice modulators, like mucking around. So you just can't fault it, you know. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Next question. Does it pass? Here comes the science bit. I mean... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they show us the humans, and I guess that's kind of accurate about what probably is going to happen. Oh, God. Um, yeah, Earth toxicity. Yep. Yeah, we'll give it a pass for that. And now, yeah, final verdict out of five plants. Plants. Twinkies. Out of five Twinkies, Twinkies how many Twinkies does Wally Twinkies. get? How many I twi- mean, it has to be five. Like... I've kind of, I've really, I've really fucked up my score. My scoring means bullshit. My scoring literally means jack shit. Like, because the whole point of the scoring was to score it based on how well it presented the science. But we just don't do that now. We don't, we don't, we score it based on whether we like the movie or not. So, like, in terms of what it's supposed to be, in terms of scoring it on science, then it can have a number. But, like. 
Look, don't worry about it. It's it's a five star movie for me too. And but the <laughs> thing the is, scores are dependent on how I feel on the day. <laughs> how I feel on the day. The the movie gives a very clear message and a very clear worldview, and it's it's a movie that adds goodness to the world. Yeah. A lot of movies don't do that. This is a movie which makes the world better. <laughs> yeah. It does. I agree. It does. And I wish more movies made the world a better place just by their existence <laughs> and, and people made more movies with that intention to really tell a story and give a message for hope and for humanity and a warning. This movie functions really well as that. All right. That was my movie choice. Our first animated <laughs> That was that was our first animated movie, and we've had a bit of. It was nice to have a little bit of uh, laughter and happy happy tears, and now, Abby, yes. it's your turn for the next choice. Do you have your choice yeah. with you? I do. Have Reveal the choice. I'm very excited. Oh, <laughs> because I get to pick. The Batshit movie. <laughs> yes. Um, I have a clue for you. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. <gasps> Ghostbusters! <laughs> I'm so excited. Amazing. I have so little memory of Ghostbusters. I would have seen it when I was so little and and I can't wait. Great. I'm doing, we're doing original. We're doing original 1984. I mean, I really like the recent lady one. Um, Like I really do really like it, but I want to do original 1984 because I just, oh, to me, it's yeah. just very reminiscent of um, um, just the kind of movies that you would watch around like, you know, fun times, holiday times and stuff like that. So, yeah. Okay. So I thought it would be a fun one to do. We're going to have some crazy paranormal science. <laughs> Remind me where we're going to be with our miniseries at, the, at, at this point in um, time. I think it'll be... Oh, so after this will be um, uh, the second one, The Net. Mm. Yeah. So last week we had an amazing episode of our miniseries <laughs> on Hackers possibly one of the best we've ever had <laughs> and next week we'll continue with the net which is my i'm so excited that's the whole reason i did the hackers thing is because i couldn't find a good reason to do the net it just doesn't have enough yeah. in it so it's sandra bullock and the net and then the week after that we'll continue with our main episode on ghostbusters world favorite ghostbusters <laughs> guys so guys if you'd like to join us then please do but also Give us a rating if you have time. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts because it really helps us remain visible. And su subscribe to the podcast on whatever your chosen players is. Chosen players is... is. If you want to get in contact, you can also email us at scienceatthemovies.com or catch us on Instagram at scienceatthemovies. And of course, we have our Twitter handle, movies underscore science. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Bye. Oh, send us recommendations if you want. Things you would like us to movies. What? <laughs> just yeah, just general chat. Uh, just chat with <laughs> us. We are we're lonely. We're like Wally. -E. <laughs>